Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lassie Watson. On today's edition, Arsenal or Juventus, which club would you choose in this transfer window? If you were one of the most prolific young players in Europe. And talking of transfer windows, is this... The closing window now, just a prism through which we can prepare for the biggie window next year. Yeah, the real deal Holyfield window of, uh, well, 2023, when several of Europe's best footballers are out of contract. And you may well ask Union Saint-Gilloise, who are they? Well, we'll hear about the remarkable comeback from one of Belgium's traditional big clubs who have spent too long licking their wounds. Great. Andy, let's start with Vlaovic. He is one of the most impressive young strikers in Europe today. And yet he had a choice, something of a Hobson's choice between two teams. And yet he went the Juventus route. He's, he's there already. Why, why would he not consider Arsenal? What better way to stir the pot of a dormant January transfer window we might ask then a transfer between Fiorentina and Juventus, especially in the Juventus direction. Quite apart from our mutual enjoyment of the situation, he, he wants to win stuff. And I think he is better placed to win stuff in the short term um, with Juventus. He already knows he works in um, Serie A. It, it, it is, it's good for him. So, and uh, that's before we get to players from Fiorentina going on to have success at, at Juventus before. I think in terms of his career, it makes better sense. In terms of 
Juventus having this very Vlahovic-shaped hole in their team and having had, ever since Cristiano Ronaldo went, you, you could argue, I think it makes sense for him. With that in mind, Lars, you called this a while ago. Kind of. I've been racking my brain trying Don't to be th- modest. Don't I've be been modest. racking my brain trying to think if I said it on this or some other show. Uh, but, but I did say at one point. There aren't other shows. If, if this, you if, said if, it on well, I've said we were talking about Juventus. There is a tra- football ramble. We were, talking about, we were talking about Juventus and Juventus and forwards. And I said, if this was a few years ago, Juventus would just go and get Vlaovic. And everyone agreed. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I didn't think it would necessarily happen. I don't think a lot of people thought it would happen. Uh, and I guess in Ital- in Italy... In Italian, in Italy, we're going really rogue with the pronunciations today, Dawson. I'm looking at you. Um, in in Italy, in Italia is actually in, uh, correct, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Italia, in, in Italy, culturally, there's still this idea that surely the big dog from Fiorentina cannot go to Juventus. Like this is very bad. This is something that I guess people outside of Italy might not be as you know keenly aware of, but there's still a bit of a of a hurdle there in a sense but it just made total sense I mean in the sense that Juventus really needed a sort of charismatic leading man up front you get a young striker who's only going to get better and who's proven that he can score bucket loads of goals in that league I mean the only thing I guess that we were questioning was whether they could afford it uh, but Juventus as we know are, are often quite canny when it comes to structuring these deals and make sure the money doesn't have to depart the account before they're ready to, to let the money go from the account and you know, just you know, sending Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester does does help your finances, doesn't it, Andy? Yeah, it's, it certainly does. Uh, I think that makes a, a huge difference. Obviously, there'll be no comparison between the the wages that Cristiano Ronaldo was drawing, the ones that Vlaovic will get, even if he's going for seventy five million euros. Um, and you do feel it's an investment that you can you can sell in terms of it being something for the short, the medium, and the long term given his age, um, given his quality. Going back to the Fiorentina thing, I mean, before we had official confirmation of the offer being accepted even, um, you had um, these banners denouncing um, Vlaovic already hung on the side of the um, Stadio Artemio Franchi in, in, in Florence, as you would expect. Remember when Paolo Sosa turned up there to to be a coach? Uh, they told him he was not welcome in quite sweary words because uh, he was he was formerly of Juventus as well. Two words, I mean, quite sweary two words. Um, uh, yeah, more, more than two sweary words, I think. From Italians memory. have always got to be extra with language, <laughs> haven't they? But uh, it's interesting this, um, this beef between um, Fiorentina and Juventus, mainly on the Fiorentina side, which goes back 40 years now, and was accentuated, of course, by Roberto Baggio's departure before the 1990 World Cup from Fiorentina to um, Juventus, where Fiorentina fans spent like pretty much three days smashing the city up. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a big deal, but it's interesting like how in the last couple of years, it's kind of accelerated. You've had, um, a, 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 you know, you look at particularly Federico Chiesa, Bernadeschi before that, you know, these young stars of the Fiorentina team going over. And I think this is, this is where we are really, isn't it, in, in, in football nowadays, that you have to be realistic and um, Rocco Comiso the, the the president of Fiorentina they've just been he and they have just been looking at where are we going to get our money he's got 18 months on left on his deal we need to sell him now 
We need to make it happen. We would have preferred if he went abroad. But look, if you're paying us that money that we want, let's 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 do it. Now, I think that's a wise thing to do, don't you? Yeah, no, I, I think they don't really have a choice. Um, I, I, it's interesting what you mentioned. I've, I've found some quotes here from the firm former the former prime minister of Italy, Matteo Renzi, who's uh, from Florence, who's just giving an example of the strength of feelings. I think this is kind of funny. Um, he's, he said that this is like a day of mourning in Florence. I was 15 years old when Roberto Baggio was sold to Juventus and I was part of the protests uh, in, in the piazza. Should you be fessing up to that? Well, exactly. <laughs> I'm absolutely furious. Why do Fiorentina always have to sell everyone to Juventus? At least send them some, to some different clubs, which I guess is what you're referring to, Andy, recently with Banandeschi and Chiesa going there and with Lovic going there. That's particularly galling. And I feel for Fiorentina because they've kind of been stuck in that sort of... Uh, the. <clears throat> The sort of mid-table doldrums, I guess. I mean, they are still an ambitious club, but they don't have the financial resources. And I think we see this in every league, is that there's a class of club now who are, you know, too big, you know, too big to really get stuck in. About to reference Everton here, too big to get stuck into the relegation battle. We'll we'll see how that one pans out. But uh, yeah, we have clubs who are, unless they get everything spectacularly wrong, they're not going to get relegated. And because of the size and history of of they have, they, they feel entitled to maybe hope for a bit more than just hanging around in, in eighth but because of the way the financial system of, of modern football works you know if you're not regularly in the Champions League you, you don't get the income from that and you don't get the prestige from that so every time you have a team that looks capable of breaking into that sphere your best players are going to leave and get picked up by, by those clubs I it's, guess, it's really difficult I guess though Atalanta have proved it can be done mm. that, that's where even though they're not such a traditional power like somewhere someone like Fiorentina have to be aiming for and under Vincenzo Italiano they played great football this season I guess that's the frustrating thing but the whole time they've known that, that Vlaovic is, is going I guess the trick now Dotton is now you've got the bag don't waste it don't do um, Villa post Grealish don't do Tottenham post Bale that's perhaps the reasoning behind this question from Andy Heffel to us here at uh, the Ramblin OTC um, at Andy Brassel at Dot and Annie Bio at Lars Severson. Uh, t- tweet us any time of the week. Anyway, Andy's questions. How should Fiorentina, now they've got this cash, go about spending it? Uh, it's Arguably, it's an opportunity for them, isn't it, to do everything that Lars was just suggesting that, mm. that they can't do because they don't have the financial clout. If they spend wisely, your reference with Atalanta is it's the way that the club is managed yeah. financially. Yeah. So... 75 million euro, they can throw it away. They can throw it away very easily. How do they go about... Don't spend it all now. I I think that is the the, the short answer to that. In the short term, and uh, Andy made the point, of course, they'd signed uh, Jonathan Ikone from uh, Lille, who's more of a a wide attacker, who's considered once as a possible Jadon Sancho replacement by Borussia Dortmund, um, and and needed a bit of a restart. So I think for for him, it's a a, a good move, but he's not a Vlaovic replacement. For the moment, they've signed Christoph Piontek on loan, who we know can score goals in Serie A. I know both Lars and I have our doubts <laughs> over like quite how good he is. But on on loan, I think for the rest of the season, 
You might, well. you might as well. You might as well. Yeah, uh, and they're, they're looking at as again, like we, we had Lars looking into his crystal ball with Vlaovic. Mm. David Cartledge was saying to us last week how Maxi Gomez of, of of Valencia could be a possibility, and it looks like he might even that would end be up there before Monday. Match. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that. You um, know the the question before you just start because there is another aspect to this mm. question. Uh, when Andy says, "Don't spend it all now," well. How much of it should you not spend now, for example? Well, quite, you I think it would be smart to, to put quite a lot, a lot of it away, to be honest, but you do need to have a striker, I guess. you know, It's, it's a big hole to fill. I, I think um, you, you referenced Tottenham post-bail. I actually think Tottenham are an interesting model here because we can you can say what you want about Tottenham, and people do, and, and, and make fun of them for not winning trophies and uh, are angry with Danny Who Levy. Does that? And are angry with Danny <laughs> Levy for not spending more money and all of this. But Tottenham are actually one of those clubs who... For many years, we're stuck in the sort of tenth to to ten to LA to to eighth doldrums, and yeah. who, who have managed to rise from that to at least partake in the Champions League in a couple of seasons. And if you look around Europe, actually, not many clubs have managed to to do that. It's, it's a tricky thing to do, and. Um, and 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 a huge part of why they were able to do that was because they signed up and coming players. I mean, not necessarily teenagers. You know, not all of them were, were young Gareth Bale, but you know, they generally speaking stuck to signing players under twenty five who were on their way up. With the idea being that we cannot compete with the richest clubs for the stars of today, but we can try to buy the stars of tomorrow. And if you get enough of them right at the same time, suddenly you find yourself uh, with a team that can possibly compete with the bigger clubs. And of course, ideally, it helps if you find a very good manager and if you find a top scorer from the back of the sofa. Uh, these these are all things that help you. But uh, I, I definitely think that the, going by the way of youth is really the only viable model. I think Atalanta is incredibly difficult to replicate because a lot of it is about a, a slightly unusual coach who has a very clear philosophy that, yeah. uh, that when you get it right works really well but uh, hasn't worked everywhere else and Atlanta have had an incredible ability to find an, and this is something that could be replicated I guess Atlanta have been very good at finding good players in sort of unexpected places you know quite a few players they've picked up from like Switzerland and, and leagues like that where you don't necessarily that's the Harry Redknapp route isn't it well um, we, yeah and they've, they've had a very good and I guess that's something you can also do when you have a coach that has a very clearly defined philosophy your scouts and your sporting director know exactly what qualities you need for different roles so it's, it's probably easier to find bargains so Having a joined-up uh, strategy is, is helpful in that guy. I think there's one more complication to this. When If you're a Fiorentina fan and you've seen Vlaovic for the last couple of years, um, Italian, was it young striker of last year, last season, uh, you've seen the brilliance of this guy, there's a lot of pressure. It's a fine line in football because on the one hand, we do want clubs to have we want there to be some kind of dialogue between a club and its fan base and for the clubs to try to listen to what fans want but at the end of the day clubs have to think long term to, to get anything done whereas fans tend to you know I'm not doing anyone down I mean we're all football fans we want our team to play well next weekend and we want our teams I mean, we don't necessarily want to think long term we don't want to hear that we have to be sensible uh, we want them to sign big names now and but it's Honestly, when I think about what I'd, I'd like as a fan, I think, you know, better toilets and you're less very, of a queue you're at very, the bar. You're a very oh, sensible yeah, man, yeah. Andy. You're, you're very sensible. Just for a, Do you think final... that's what they want now in, in, just, in Florence? There's just better toilets <laughs> at the Artemio Franchi. Yeah, they, well, they, they've wanted to, that for a while, yeah, put trust the, me. Put the Vlaovic money into toilets. <laughs> I, I think just a final word on Vlaovic, though, because you talked a lot about Fiorentina. Mm. Um, are you surprised that more Premier League clubs didn't 
come in from I'm, I'm looking from the perspective of the Premier League I think this is what the made, league to go to this is really what made the Juventus move inevitable if they could get the money together not just the fact that um, that they have that you have that sense of you're playing for the league every year and you're maybe playing the back end of the, the, the Champions League but also I think the fact that if you look at Vlaovic's options clearly he wasn't he was, he was never really that into the, the, the Arsenal idea where higher in the Premier League would he go? I mean, I, I don't think there is any higher than Tottenham or Arsenal for him mm. at the moment. So you look at you look at it, and like Chelsea have got Lukaku, they're not signing him. He's probably not quite proven enough yet to 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 be a, a Manchester City. Liverpool aren't going to sign. So what does that what does that leave yeah. you with? And if you're, I mean, realistically, I think. Tottenham aren't going to spend that kind of money for someone while they still have Harry Kane. Mm. I mean, it was suggested in the summer that he was their plan A if Kane was to go, which would have made a lot of sense. He's got their similarities there. And, and, and Arsenal, as much as there's... I mean, Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League since 2017. Mm. Like, last time Arsenal were in the Champions League, Barack Obama was still in office. Like, this is, this is a long time ago. If you're, if you're, you I'm can't really... They're, say, they're gradually morphing I'm into this sort really of... really tempted to say Barack who... <laughs> Już na stałe, Gonzalez, pole karne, Wlachowicz, jest interwencja Odriozola, piłka w bramce, pytanie czy tam nie był na offside, Dusan Wlachowicz, cieszy się. Talking of the transfer window, I don't know how excited you guys have been. It's been a mixed bag so far, but I wonder if this transfer window, which ends very shortly, is the preamble to the the big deal transfer window next year, Andy. It, 2023, a lot of these big players that we're looking at now are going to be out of contract. Yeah, and it's, it's something that Lars has pointed out and Lars has been writing about this week. Um we are in a strange old time anyway, because <clears throat> if you look at last season, uh, last summer, Leo Messi going for nothing. This summer, in all probability, Kylian Mbappe going for nothing. And then what the Americans would call one hell of a free agent class <laughs> next summer. And you just wonder like, how have the biggest clubs in the world in some case come to this point where they're happy to let players run their contracts down. I mean, we've seen this before with Real Madrid. They've gone into the last year of contracts with um, Karen Benzema, Angel Di Maria, Javi Alonso, a lot of players before. Um, and I understand it with Real Madrid because their thing was, well, where are they wh- going to go? Where are you going to go yeah, from here? Yeah, that's better. Yeah. You know, you know, you always have that as a as a sort of fullback, and it's been a decent negotiating position for them. Also, Real Madrid have globally been pretty good at selling players at a decent whack that they didn't want anymore, even though the whole world knew they didn't want them anymore. But they're like the Mercedes Benz; they've got an extra cachet, haven't they? You're, you're, yeah. you're buying the badge as much as anything else. Yeah, that's that's right. You're, you're, you're going to the dealership. It, there's no second-hand element <laughs> to it, is, is, is there really? You're getting the full service plan. But I, I think when you when you look at things now, I'm interested to to know what you think, Lars. Before we get to the the, the class of 2023, because there's a sense that we've never been in a period like this. I think in the last decade, it's clearly been accentuated by the worries of the pandemic, Mm. but we've never been in a period like the last decade where the wages are so huge that players on contracts are hard to shift. 
Yeah. I mean, th- there's there's some sort of mutual interest, really. It's been isn't a contraction there? almost. Clubs have actually yeah. wanted to cut their wage bills, which basically hasn't happened. Now, I should start, by the way, by fact checking myself in my my flippant Arsenal remark. In fact, I don't think Barack Obama was still in office when they got beaten 10-2 on aggregate by Bayern, which was the last time they were in the Champions League. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's one hell of a second half of a sentence. Yes, yeah, so that, that game, <laughs> he, he had stepped down by then. Listen, even flippant remarks need to be factually accurate uh, as far as you can do. So. Mostly... <laughs> that's that OTC guarantee. Yeah, really, really important. No, th- this this contract stuff is is really strange. And it, it, it came to me this week, so I was writing uh, about, I was doing one of these sort of 10 players, or like, here is an 11 that out of contract this summer wow and it's great because it's like Mbappe and Jibala and Pogba it's an incredible team you can put together mm. but I started looking at it it's just that there are more of them than usual and they're younger than usual because it's not unusual that you have guys who are past 30 who are still big names and the club is just kind of holding off a bit to see how it goes and there are quite a lot of young players and then you check who's on contract expiring next year and the list is insane I mean and go through his names here, uh, and bearing in mind with contract details, sometimes there are clauses we don't know about, sometimes mm-hmm. there's stuff that hasn't been published, mm-hmm. uh, but by the list, uh, by the usually very excellent Transfermarkt website, uh, players whose contracts expire next summer uh, include, but are not limited to, Mohamed Salah, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Sadio Mane, Serge Gnabry, Jan Oblak, Yuri Tielemans, uh, Robert, uh, Robert Lewandowski, Khalidou Koulibaly, Gavi, Incredibly, and that's a bad one for Barcelona. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, Hossam Awar, Renato Sanchez, Ibisuma, Marcus Turam, Adama Traore. Listen, it's a lot of young guys here and guys who have a huge value in the transfer market. I think what's interesting is um, the story in Germany um, over the last day or two about Newcastle being interesting to interesting Thomas Muller yeah. who is out of contract in on 2023 yeah. by which time he'll be 34 correct me if I'm wrong mm. so I'm thinking there are two things well there are two okay. there's one definite reason uh, and but but the question is if there's one more thing so the pandemic definitely plays a part here right mm. so because the thing that usually happens and Andy's right there are exceptions the biggest clubs in the world who pay the biggest wages can look at it and say well realistically where are you going to go so they can wait like but the, there's a small market for the biggest players yeah the situation yeah. with Lionel Messi who had this sort of one year rolling thing because it was a unique case you know mm. um but for most clubs with most players the sort of standard procedure is when it's about two years left on their deal, they'll try to re- renegotiate or they'll actually tr- decide to cash in. Because when there's less than two years left of the contract, the balance of power shifts quite dramatically in favour of the player. Because once that sort of free transfer date comes closer, it becomes harder and harder for the club to, to realise any sort of cash from, from that asset. And, and it, it becomes much more in their interest to sell, whereas for the player, you know, so the whole thing shifts. There's about two years before the contract expires where something really needs to happen. Either you cash in or you... you expand the contract what's happened the last couple of summers well the last two summers I don't know if you noticed there's been a bit of a pandemic on <laughs> so so what's happened is that a lot of clubs have been trying to cut costs which has made renegotiating contracts difficult because there's been a perhaps a difference between what uh, the players are expecting and hoping for and what the clubs are are willing to do but the, the but but the second leg of this, okay, if we don't renew, then we cash in. It's not been a good time to cash in. <laughs> like there, there hasn't really been a market where you can get the transfer fees you're it's been expecting. A surplus, hasn't it? Exactly right. So the players have been clubs have been stuck with contracts they'd rather get rid of, and they have players who they think are very valuable. And but when they try to 
test the waters and see, okay, can we sell this guy? It's not a lot of interest because people haven't had spare cash to spend. So I think because we've had two summers that have been a bit like that, it was a bit better last summer, but the one before was really bad. Because we've had two summers like that, we are now in a situation where a lot of players who would have ordinarily signed new contracts either this season or last season, they're just kind of holding off because they're not quite happy with the offers they've gotten. And the clubs have decided not to cash in on them because they haven't gotten the offers they, they were looking for. I think typical of that, you might say, is Coutinho. You know, how does a player like that end up in Aston Villa? No disrespect. But, you know, there's something going on. He's not sold. Well, yeah. He hasn't been sold. I, I think he's, Barcelona's well, still he's, hanging on to him. Well, he's they? a great example of a contract that was signed pre-COVID that probably was too big even then. Do you know what? But that after COVID made no that's, sense. That's a really good point. That's a, a fascinating point because contracts don't take into consideration as anybody who's trying to buy an insurance call, contract will know or an insurance uh, agreement will know. They don't take into, contra- into consideration uh, an act of God like COVID. And you see, a contract mm. usually is a, a, an agreement between two parties. And depending on who writes that contract, it's to their advantage. Yeah, but yeah. on the other side of that, Dutton, I think you've got contracts that haven't aged well and you can always tell weren't going to age well. And we, we talked about him earlier on the on, on the Ramble. And Aaron Ramsey, for example. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that to me is the very thin end of Juventus and their brilliant free transfers. And, you know, of course, they, they did very well and signing Pirlo for, 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 for nothing. Other, other players they, they picked up for, for, for no transfer fee. We're not saying for nothing. Um, that Ramsey deal, it always seemed like a lot because when you're paying a player at a level when a Premier League club are struggling to, 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 to pay that if they're taking him back, that's that's a huge issue. And I think, you know, to get yourself in a position where your player is stuck, I think that's really, really difficult. That's something that needs to change going forward. And I think it's funny, like when last lists all these players out of contract, it's really interesting. But I wonder if for some of those players, not for the very best, of course, not for Mbappe, not for Lewandowski, uh, various en- uh, different ends of the age spectrum, but for other players out there, does these players running down their contracts just create the the next wave mm. of Aaron Ramsey's? Mm. Because, you know, if, if you're not costing a transfer fee, you say, you say, all right, I'll have a big signing on fee and big wages. And that, that was the problem. As we've talked about, Dotton, before with Barcelona... It's not the fee that they pay for Felipe Coutinho, although that was that huge. That was also it, terrible. It, it, it didn't work out. It's the continuous expense of the mm-hmm. wages. That, that's the issue. No, um, and, and that speaks to the second part of my very, very long answer. This is the problem when you've written about something. <laughs> you've got like a 1,600-word text in your head. Uh, but yeah, so on the one hand, you can explain basically all of this by the pandemic, like by the fact that clubs were trying to cut costs, so renewing contracts were difficult, and cashing in was basically hard because there were no buyers. Like That can kind of explain all of this. But I also wonder if, at the same time, is it possible that there could be a trend here in players taking their fates a little bit more into their own hands? Because the thing about a football transfer, and it's kind of irrational when you think about it, uh, if, 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 player a, if a player goes from club A to club B, the club pays a lot of money for him to move. Now... Of course, if your transfers, if you're on a free transfer, instead of paying a big transfer fee, they will pay more money to you and your agent. So I do wonder if, as transfer fees have gotten really big, 
there are a few representatives and a few canny players who just look at this and say, why should a club pay 50 million to the other club for me? Why can't I just wait until my contract expires and then they pay me a, a sign-on bonus of, of 30? And then, uh, this works out much better for me and for my clever agent. Uh, and, and of course, that is a risky move because you can do your ACL in April and then you have a big problem, right? So that there's you there's a total loss of security. So you've got to back yourself a little bit. But the financial gains and also the freedom to choose where you end up means that there's a lot of upside here as well. I have wondered about the possibility of almost freelance footballers before. And I guess to, to briefly compare it to the NBA, we've seen that before with players who you think will be high impact players. So maybe, I, I don't know, you look at Philadelphia signing JJ Redick, who's a great shooter. You've got him to do a specific job in the team. So you bring him in and you throw 20 million at him for a year for example. But I do think NBA is instructive in a different way in that I think in terms of taking the temperature of players, to change a culture takes a long time. It, you know, it, it takes not only key players to buy into the new way of thinking, but others to follow them as well. Including and, uh, the fans to a certain extent as well, you know, they've got, they've got to buy into it as well. And yeah, yeah, you're right because they've, they like to feel that players belong. I think as as well. So the, the the contracts are important to them, but of course, of course, they're more important to the players because they're their actual working conditions. But again, you've seen in the NBA that players still like that little bit of security because of what might, might happen. So even though it's a more freedom based sport where um, free agency is, is 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 more important than it than it has been in football, for example, even even post Bosman they like to last a little bit longer. Now, of course, there's give and take. I just wonder, sensible clubs, they've got to take this opportunity post-pandemic, shave a little bit off off, off the actual wage. Oh, yeah. And to say, if we're going to give you a longer contract, let's talk more sensible money. But I wonder if... Of course, ha- Newcastle might be the fly yeah. in the ointment where <laughs> that's, I, I that's concerned. I wonder if... Well, again, we're asking clubs to be sensible, which is not... They're, un- they're constantly under pressure to no, not be sensible. No. Uh, but... I wonder if a happy medium and a halfway house between these two things can be more release clauses. Uh, it, mm. it may be what uh, Mina Ayola and Erling Holland has done at Dortmund is is the model of, of, of what to do. When they sign, they're pretty optimistic about his prospects. When they sign from RB Salzburg, they're aware that the potential is huge. And if he fulfills his potential and scores a handful of goals for Dortmund, they might want him to move on a couple of years down the line. And instead of like having a shorter contract with the insecurity that comes with that, just try to bake in a release clause that's a right. little bit smaller than what everyone you know. everyone gets a good deal out of that because I know people will say, well, they're selling him for less than market value. Well, Dortmund still end up with four times what they paid for him, mm. and he gets a choice because there's more than one buyer out there who can who can afford them, as we've seen with Barcelona being in the picture. I, th- I think that's a lot of sense. But I do think there are a lot of situations in this last couple of years, some of it caused by the pandemic, but but that will have made clubs and players on both sides of this equation think about how you do contracts. I think clubs will look at, you mentioned Coutinho as an example, I think clubs will have looked at the Gareth Bale situation at Real Madrid, at Mesut Ozil, at Arsenal, and thought, my God, like we do not want that happening to us. <laughs> like, because it had cost them just unfeasible amount of money that they tied these players to contracts and then circumstances changed and then they were kind of stuck with them. So is your uh, counterpoint to that something uh, more like the, the way that t- Turkish Super League clubs do it, where there's there's a wage 
and then it's heavily weighted towards performances yeah, and, and, the, the, and goals where whereas you get like 20 grand a game or yeah. 30 grand a game or whatever. So, so I think some, some clubs will have looked at that and thought we really don't want that but at the same time I think players and representatives will have looked at Harry Kane mm. and thought we really don't want that either. We we, do, we don't want to be stuck at a... At a or, or, or poor Wilf Saha. Wilf Saha, yeah. It's three yeah. summers in a row he's tried to leave. You just can't leave. It's like, it's like Palace is the Hotel California of football. <laughs> like it's, it's impossible. Uh, but, but no, I wonder if these very high profile contract situations will have just kind of made everyone in the equation think a little bit about what we do here and how we use the money and and maybe maybe we'll see more players take a chance on running down their deals because the upsides are extraordinary mm. as well as the risks but I also do wonder if maybe more release clauses could be a thing could we end this uh, this segment by just a, a a phrase or a word or two of wisdom from Lash, Mr. McCorber. Because, you know, usually we're used to it by now, the sort of uh, commonsensical approach uh, to uh, sums that <laughs> clubs don't often employ. Is, is there a phrase that captures all of this? Um, spend less than you earn. Spend less than you earn, yeah. <laughs> it's such a difficult one to get your head around. It's just really tricky. Are you listening, Florentino? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer budget-friendly flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment the plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals so for whatever tomorrow brings united healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you learn more at uh1.com Clash of the Titles is the podcast where two movies with something in common go head-to-head in a fight to the death as we decide which film does it better. And for the whole of January and February, we're taking film suggestions from you, our listeners. But he said to me, I was putting on, and because we've done the social network, and he's like, why are you doing all these good films? <laughs> and I said, oh, well, you know. And then I had to admit that every, other people pick them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Join me, Alex Zane, with Chris Tilley and Vicky Crompton every Monday and Thursday. Search Clash of the Titles wherever you get your pods. Now, the moment I've been waiting for to hear about uh, a, gr- a team that I never heard of, to be honest, but they do so well in the Belgium League. And I've 
learned a little bit about them, and I'm almost embarrassed that I don't know anything about the Union Saint-Gilloise. Union Saint-Gilloise. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Uh, and what I find was a lot of fascinating things about them, but one of the things that's very fascinating is that they are the third highest trophy winners in Belgium, the, the team that <laughs> won the league the third most times. They won 11 titles. And, and this so is you th- the days so, when Belgium so, so, so you think, yeah, yeah, so you think you would have heard of them. Here's the thing. Last time they did it was in 1935. So, I mean... It's kind of Preston North Endish. Yeah, in, in a it? sense. I've never really thought of that. But the Belgian Preston North End, is that a thing? No, but they're, but they're a club... They, they, play that, a, they play on a ground that's smaller than Deepdale. They were very... Yeah. They were very successful in... Uh, well, before the war. Uh, and, uh, well, before both of them, really. But then fell into obscurity. But the reason they're... Uh, the main reason they're top of the league now and that they were talking about them is that a couple of years ago, uh, they were bought uh, by a certain Tony Bloom, who also owns Brighton. Now, I think, I mean, they'd be quite keen to stress, and they have stressed, uh, that they're not as closely linked as some other clubs on the continent who have a very, very close ties to their, their the English club that or the English owner's structure or whatever who also owns them. There, there's only been a couple of players on loan from Brighton to, to Union, so it's not a case of them being a straight feeder club. But it's clear that through their tie-up with Mr. Bloom, Obviously, a lot of investment has come in, but also a lot of know-how. You know, Brighton are well known for for running a smart ship and using a lot of statistics and advanced metrics and this sort of thing to to make their decisions, and 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 sort of combination of of, of capital and and competence, as Ralph Ragnick would uh, would put it, <laughs> uh, has been put in, and it's it's led them to promotion and to a very improbable title chase this season. Yeah, it's it's a bit like. I suppose it's a bit like Brentford and Michelin, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? And I guess Bloom plays the Matthew Benham role to a, a, a certain extent, although he's far less hands-on with Union than um, Benham is with Michelin, for for example. So they've set the structure in place. Um, as we know, Tony Bloom's made a lot of money out of um, betting, and so they use uh, statistic-based models in terms of uh, recruitment. And, and what have you. And when they took over the club in 2018, it was pretty clear that Marc Grosjean, who was the coach there at the time, um, wanted to do things the way he had always done them and stick to players that he knows, which is a very, you know, old football way of, of doing things. He didn't last very long. And um, that, that they, they moved on from there. Um, but the, the club needed a, a lot of love, really, because it's it's a club um, that has very faithful fans. That's very much um, a club of its its little quartier in 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 Brussels, in the in, in the south of Brussels, and very very passionately followed. And I mean, th- them being where they are is completely unexpected. That 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 is something that's really surprising. As, as Lars was saying, forty eight years since yeah. they last been in in the top flight. What they needed is um, a basic spruce up of uh, facilities and a bit of care and attention to regalvanize those fans and, and make them part of it. I think that they appointed a very good coach as well in Felice Matsu, who as <laughs> didn't have much of a career as a player. Um, in his own words, he was he was a bit of a joker and like the class clown when it when when he was a player, but he'd promised his dad that he would make it as a top flight coach in Belgium. Um, uh, his, his Italian dad, and, and and so he he did. They discussed tactics a lot when when he was a kid, and um, 
Mats, who had already done a good job in his own um, local club, he, he um, became coach of Chalois, where he was born, did a really good job. He was um, got them into the um, the title playoffs. He was um, coach of the year in Belgium in, in, in 2017. And so I think what they've done is been smart in getting the right pieces in place. And we talked about that organic approach and building sensibly. And that's why they're a bit ahead of the curve. Now, Club Brugger have had a few issues even before um, Philippe Clement uh, left, for, left for Monaco. Uh, Anderlecht are in a, a, a rebuild under uh, Vincent Company, uh, Standard Liège, and not in great nick at the moment. So they've been able to take advantage of that. And Union are not nailed on in, in terms of the title because, of course, they have to go through the whole title playoff. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that's yet to come. So you can say they're nine points clear at the top now. That gets halved when we get to the playoffs and, and they have to go from there. But they've given themselves a good opportunity and given it, bearing in mind that Matsu, because of where they are and where they've come from, was still talking a couple of weeks into December about, he was doing the Claudio Ranieri thing actually, of going, right, we need to have enough points to make sure we're not going to go down. And then we can start talking about the other stuff. But realistically... They've been so good. They have a lot of a lot of worthwhile pros. You look at Christian Burgess, who um, in in defence, who you know had a what third tier career here with with with, with Portsmouth. Really, has gone over there and 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 done fantastically. So that's more from um, the, the the management side of it. But then then they've got also interesting young players, Dante Vancia, who I think could be a real star for Belgium going forward in the, in the next couple of years, a very exciting um, wide forward who um, scored a lot of goals already this season. I, I'm really interested to see how he fits into the, the national team over time. Presumably they won't be able to hang on to him, but they do, I think have a unique opportunity because not only have they taken everyone by surprise, but if you look at their fixtures over the next little while, for them, it's not just about maintaining the gap they have at the top at the moment. If you're talking in terms of the title, which they're still not officially, it's about giving themselves enough of a gap so that when the points get halved, when they go into the playoff round, they've still got a comfortable cushion because that will be a totally different type of pressure. Now, they've got um, a visit to Club Brugge coming up. And they've it's got tonight, a, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's if right. If you're listening t- to this on a Thursday, everyone. Yeah, they they, they go a little early shout for game of the week. Yeah, right? there we go. Uh, with with Mulfreet. Um, <laughs> oh, but um, I have some at home. They, I have Mulfreet in the fridge. It's meant to be. The get the, get the muscles. I've got some in the fridge. Get some beer me. on the way after okay. after the pod. Brilliant. <laughs> Union. Yeah, and 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 then they've they've got to play Anderlecht in the next couple of weeks as well. So that's that's going to be big. Anderlecht, who their traditional rivals. And this is something that is going to happen more and more because, of course, the bigger clubs in Europe want to get players over younger as well. And Belgium's at this, if you look at where it is geographically as well, immigration from all different places creates an incredible melting pot of different ideas, different cultures. And that's before those young players get sent off to different academies in in, in different places as as, as time goes by. But in, in terms, Lars, of the possibility of there being some sort of Benelux league in, in future. I, I guess traditionalists would say the fact that Union Saint-Gilloise are there and, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to quite say they are a satellite club 
of 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 Brighton. But when you that'd look at disrespectful, no, that'd but, be disrespectful. But, but they're owned by the same guy. Yeah, yeah they, 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 so, they are. I mean, and, you, and when you when you look at uh, Leuven, who of course are owned by King Power and Leicester City, when you look at uh, Ostend, for example, who are in a sort of Potso situation of a number of clubs, in, in, including Nancy and Barnsley, are in there as as, as well. Um, that's that's really the concern, isn't it? That that you can have, it's almost foreign influence on a on a domestic league because the superpowers are a little bit weaker. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, this is kind of traditional uh, superpowers. Yeah. So, so this is something that the 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 chairman of. Uh, uh, of uh, Union, uh, Alex uh, Mutio said uh, in in an interview a while back, is that they were they don't consider themselves like a, a feeder club. They're they're quite separate from from Brighton, though. Of course, they will be sharing of information and best practice, and mm. they'll take a few players on on loan now and again. I just think that's a natural consequence of the complete imbalance we have in European football. Yeah. That we have a, a couple of leagues and one league in particular where there's so much money that it makes sense for them to kind of just uh, gobble up uh, a, a decent team somewhere else and use that as a as a satellite club, a feeder club with with varying degrees of closeness between the two. I think it's also something that's very useful to have uh, with the work permit rules uh, that have come in now that makes it in some cases a little bit complicated to sign players uh, to England uh, from smaller leagues and to sign young players. It's it's nice to have a club in Belgium where you can park them for a couple of years if you want to do that. It, it certainly for a while seemed to be uh, what is the Christmas present for the Premier League club that has it all? A team in Belgium seems to be seems to be the Christmas present that's, uh, that's very good. Um, I just think that's a consequence of the just extraordinary imbalance in European club football. And I'm not sure there is much of an antidote to that, to be honest. We do encourage your tweets. So feel free to contact us at any time at Football Ramble, at Dotton, at Ibayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Lars Heverston. Uh, so these are some questions that have come for us on social media. Jim asks, why is there such an unusual look at the top of the Turkish Super League and what's happened to the traditional big boys? I think there's a, there's a few issues at, uh, at play here, really. Um, Trabs on sport, to uh, get them out of the way, not, not that I want to shunt them out of the way, are a traditionally big club. Don't you, Andy? <laughs> is this your anti-Trabs on sport bias? But they've, they've, you're always talking smack about them in the meetings. It's the only thing you ever say. They've, they've, Those they've, guys. <laughs> they've signed very well uh, last summer. Um, you, you look at the additions of Mark Hamzik. That's worked very well. Cornelius, um, together with a good team that they already had. That's really helped them. Um, but the big boys in Istanbul are, are, are not in a great place. Um Bajiktas have had their financial troubles recently. They signed a lot of players last summer um, and not all of them have, have, have settled, which has, has been a bit of an issue for, for them. They've been way off defending their their title. Um, Galatasaray are financially constrained a little bit as as well. And in, in terms of where they are, that they're very rarely able to pay fees um, to, to the same level that a, a lot of other clubs are. And then you look at Fenerbahce, who have spent a lot of their energy over the last year and a half or so, um, arguing with um, being the main broadcaster of Turkish Super League rights and accusing them of bias and 
doctoring VAR lines <laughs> and all, all, all this sort of stuff. So all those clubs have have had a lot on their plate. Um, Bajik Shahir came in and, and made it difficult. They're not in the title race at the moment, but they have had, after their really bad season last season, a bit of an upturn under uh, Emre after he, he came in as, as, as coach. But Turkey has had a problem. Turkish Super League has had a problem with sustainability for a while. And, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show about clubs needing to make that effort to to plan to be more sustainable to look into worst case scenarios is always a balance because you want to have those star players but can you risk the sort of money you know Fenerbahce don't want another Robin Van Persie situation again I think Turkey needs to look within needs to look into developing young players I know that's something that Galatasaray have, have looked at a lot over over recent years they've thought their academy doesn't produce enough and they've they've got to go back to the drawing board there i think that's absolutely right Yunus, who's on loan at um, adama demirspor uh, and doing very well there with uh, mario balotelli and brita sombolonga i think he will come back and and do well at some point in between then and now they've got to not get relegated obviously that's that's, that's quite a huge thing for them um, but yeah, sustainability is a huge problem in the Super League and I, I think that's an issue. Yeah, Sam is asking by tweet um, about Sporting Lisboa who have, or he's seen reports of them have uh, being banned from European competition for three years. Uh, what's happened to cause that? Yeah, they, will, that, to happen well? they will be if they don't pay off um, outstanding debts. Mm. The main one of which, they still owe uh, Sampdoria money for Bruno Fernandes who, as you might have worked out, does no longer play for them. He has played for Manchester United for the last couple of years. So they've spent all that money. I mean, we've, 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 we've all had moments where like, we've maybe borrowed a DVD off a mate for a little bit long. Goodness but um, this, this, is, this is a different level. I mean, I've sporting... got a book from the library that I've had for about seven years. Don't out yourself on here. I don't want to go back. What is a DVD? We just drop it in and run away. What is a book from the library? You can keep those. I think it's... it's, it's so Oh, of course, I know the author, about. so maybe they'll have bought a new one off of him. Like a couple of P in royalties there. And a VHS to throw him for free. You would you would hope they get around to paying it having been threatened with, well, not 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 quite oblivion, but a rather stiff punishment. Yeah. Much like myself. Well, three years in the wilderness of European competition is going to cost them. Okay, it's oblivion. that point where we ask both of you to recommend a game of the week. Do you have one this week? I do. Good. But this raised some hackles in the pre-show meeting here, I have okay. to say. Because, okay. listen, there's not a lot of European football this weekend. No. Uh, so I'm going to take this uh, this opportunity and this uh, august platform that I have currently to recommend you watch some AFCON. I think the Africa Cup of Nations is tremendous fun. Uh, well, I, I say that. It's mixed, right? There's some games where it goes completely wild and lots of fun things happen. You did get the memo that this is called On the Continent. Well, you, you said, you, it, it's a continent. You know, in, in many ways, Dalton, no, it is... On- it, the continent. In many ways, Dalton, Africa is the continent. I'm sure you'll agree <laughs> with me. Now, listen, 
I'm looking forward to Gambia Cameroon on on Saturday uh, because Gambia have you know one of the smallest nations uh, around, uh, but they have a couple of decent players, and 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 you know with uh, someone like uh, someone like Barrow, uh, formerly of Swansea, well maybe not the best example. Uh, they've, they've got the Bologna winger uh, Musa Barrow, uh, there's the Mudu Barrow and Musa Barrow, Musa Barrow being the better one from Bologna, uh, but but uh, <laughs> they they're playing Cameroon, who I watched because they played the Comoros. In that sort of slightly strange game when the Comoros had no goalkeeper and had to play uh, left back in goal then got a man sent off after six minutes they had ten, ten uh, men uh, for almost an entire game against the host nation and they held on heroically is one way of looking at it another way of looking at it is is that Cameroon were dreadful uh, so I, I'm interesting to see if Cameroon up their game so you've got one of the real underdogs of the tournament versus a struggling host nation I think that is an interesting setup you better uh, give us something nice to eat for this one you know this is Africa we're talking Ooh, I'm, about. I'm, I'm, it's got not, to be spicy. Cameroonian cuisine is, is jollof not, rice. Yeah, you can, jollof, West Africa, jollof rice. I am familiar jollof, with jollof rice for sure. I helped him out there, Andy. There um, do you buy that game of the week for OTC? Well, I, I can't believe you got through it without um, mentioning either one of my favourites, Carl Toko Akambi or Frank Zambo Angisa, and giving it the European angle. Angisa has been brilliant for Napoli he this has. season. He's but, always, I've way, always been in the Andre Frank Zambo Angisa camp. Uh, there's not many of us there, but I've always figured there's there's a player there, and he was one of those who kind of got lost in the wash at, at Fulham because everything was a bit weird. But he's a good player, and he's showing that at at Napoli. I just I feel having. Watched Watched Cameroon versus the Comoros. I'm very hesitant to talk up anyone from Cameroon because that was an abysmal performance. Uh, but I'm hoping for more from them against Gambia. Yeah, it wasn't the best. Uh, well, you know what? We're going to go from that to me giving you a cup final. Ooh. How about that? Ooh. Saturday night, Tassa da Liga in Portugal, the League Cup. Uh, they've had the semi-finals this week. Uh, the, the way they play this cup, I, I think, is awesome uh, in that you have uh, semi-finals on... Tuesday and Wednesday night and then the final on Saturday. Um, the final, I guess, that the wider world would have wanted. Lisbon derby between Benfica and Sporting. Uh, the coach of Benfica, the standing coach of um, Benfica post Jorge Jesus, uh, Nelson Verissimo, has said, well, the League Cup isn't going to save our season. Yeah, sure, but you definitely need to win it, especially against Sporting, as that they've been uh, the kings of Lisbon over the, the, the last year and a half. They've been excellent. Sporting um, have lost a couple of times recently in the Liga. So now Porto have what looks like being a decisive six-point lead at the top. They need this trophy. Two very exciting semi-finals this week where Benfica beat Bovista on pens and then um, Sporting beat Santa Clara, who were the first team to beat them in the league this season with a Palos Arabia goal. Um, incidentally, little transfer line here, um, Sarabia, they are very unlikely to be able to keep him next season. He's on loan from PSG, of course. It looks like the young Englishman, Marcus Edwards, will be going over Ooh. to replace him next summer. He's been Pro- doing very well. Probably, probably not this window. Very exciting player. Um, so that's well worth watching. Um, obviously, because there's so much football um, to be watching this weekend uh, with the African Cup of Nations, you won't have time to cook anything long. Just go simple, get yourself a Bifana, um, a Portuguese steak sandwich and um, loads of mustard and also um, get yourself, just just to make a party of it, get a massive bag of those presunto rufles, which are the, the best crisps 
on the planet and a yeah, great party the, share Bifana's Yeah, you're from the same part of London that I am. <laughs> I remember. For, you're, really you're the one good. who's mates with Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into that. So I went, first time I went a to Porto. A flim, particularly in Northern Ireland. First time I went to Porto, like I came for the Franciscina, but I have to say, it was the Bifana that really, learned, yeah, t- they're very good. Yeah, they're special, right? You yeah, should have yeah, yeah. said, I'll have whatever Lars is having, because of course, the Portuguese were the first pirates to colonize West Africa. Uh, Lagos, the capital of Nigeria, <laughs> mm. remember that? Yeah. This was a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.